Welcome back to the Brady Farkas Show right here on a Wednesday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Let's go out to the phone line. Joining us now, as he does every single Wednesday at this time, is our guy from ESPN Radio, Freddie Coleman, host of Freddie and Fitzsimmons. You can hear it tonight at 9 p.m. on WDEV. Freddie, how are you? I'm good, brother Brady. How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm doing excellent. Appreciate you being with us as always. I want to, you know, let me start with this. I got to ask you. We saw the Northeast Conference Basketball Tournament Championship last night between Mount St. Mary's and Bryant. Had you been broadcasting NEC games in the past couple of years? Yeah, I've been able to do that for Sacred Heart. So the home games, I've been able to do that for them when it comes to football and basketball. And I followed the Northeast Conference before, even before I had a chance to be associated with it through Sacred Heart. And that league keeps getting better and better and more athletic each and every year. Well, the reason why I ask is because Mount St. Mary's, who just won it, their head coach, Dan Ingolstadt, I found out, is a former coach at uh, Southern Vermont College Division Three. So I guess with UVM out, I've got my new low major to root for. Yeah, you certainly should root for them because Damian Chonqui, their outstanding guard, is terrific. He's a player that I don't know if Mount St. Mary's is going to win a game in the tournament, but that could be a guy that could fight in a lot of people because of the ability to get so great with the dribble and get his shot and get people involved. And you're right about Dan Ingolstadt, because in five years of Southern Vermont, they were not a good program at all. And he got them two NCAA tournament berth. St. Mary's, they're 9-22, and and two years later, they go on the road and beat Wagner, the top seed over the weekend, and then beat Bryant on the road, a team that had not lost at home on year. He's done a fantastic job in two years down at Emmitsburg St. Mary's. They were 1-24 and at Southern Vermont before he got there. His first game there, they would mm-hmm. not beat nationally ranked Williams. Like, this is absurd. Yeah, and also, remember, Williams had Duncan Robinson on yes. that basketball team who wound up transferring to Michigan, and he's now in the NBA. And Dan Ingolstadt, he's not only a terrific recruiter, he's really good at finding players because if you can find players in Southern Vermont, <laughs> you'll be able to do that at the Division One level in the Northeast Conference. But he's really good that when he gets players, he makes them better. If he gets a two-star guy, there'll be a three, three-star guy by the time he's done with him. He has a very terrific coaching staff, and they also very, they're very underrated in their game preparation and also their recruiting ties as well. Well, I'm looking forward to watching Mount St. Mary's play, and we're going to have Dan Engelson on the show on Friday, so I'm looking forward to that also. On the college basketball note, Freddie, I'm sure you've dealt with this in your career. I've dealt with this in my career already. We talk every year about this. John Becker at UVM, should he stay or should he go? He's been incredibly successful here for the last decade, but he likely here will never have an opportunity to play for a national championship. So how do you figure out what's important to you when it comes to your career goals? Because it feels like that's going to be the thing that's going to decide whether he stays or goes. It all depends on the opportunity because it's one thing that if you want to have an aspiration, Brady, to be at a high major conference, or be in a better conference than where you are now. But you really have to make sure that you're not really pushing that boulder up the hill and there's no light at the end of that tunnel. And I hate to use cliches in this situation, but that's completely, completely true. You look at Porter Moser at Loyola Chicago, that his name's been bandied about for this job opening, that job opening. You can't just jump into something because you want to have a chance to be with the big boys and think you can make a big noise. You may have to, you really have to scour that situation and really scan that situation and say, okay, we can build something that's going to take a little bit, but we can do something here in the Power Conference. For example, you look at Nate Oates of Alabama. Yeah. When he was at Buffalo, he had opportunities to go to a couple other places before then, but they weren't the right situations. But then Alabama shows up, and here they are two years later, a potential two-seed, maybe even a one-seed in the upcoming NCAA tournament. Also staying in that conference, you look at Eric Mosselman at Arkansas. 
He was at Nevada, and people wanted him to go to other West Coast schools. Even UCLA thought about him. He didn't know. He didn't believe that was the right situation. Arkansas comes calling, and two years later, they're going to be a tough team to deal with in the NCAA tournament. So, Brady, it's not so much having a chance to improve your stock going from a mid-major school to a power school and a power conference. But if it's something that you believe after two to three years that there's no light at the end of the tunnel and you're not going to have the right kind of support that you believe is going to be necessary, then you can't just jump into it just because it's all glitz and glamour being at a power conference. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, on tonight, 9 p.m., right here on WDEV, and he's with us on the Brady Farkas Show every single Wednesday. I want to move to the Patriots. Trent Brown, the offensive lineman, the massive 6'8 O-lineman, gets traded back to New England, takes less money to come back to Foxborough. Do you think this means that players are more interested in New England maybe than we've given credit for, or is this an isolated incident solely uh, to Trent Brown? Completely isolated, in my opinion, because I give him a lot of credit that he wanted to come back there because that's the place where he can have the most success and, let's be honest, probably make the most money. But I'm going to be convinced of that when I see a quarterback and that guy because of Pied Piper for that team, the way Tom Brady did it for 20 years. Bill Belichick is definitely an accomplished coach. There's absolutely no doubt about that. He's one of the greatest, if not the greatest coach in the history of the National Football League. But more than ever before, being amidst a lack of warm and fuzzy <laughs> is not going to be appealing to players out there. And if I'm the New England Patriots, if you can't get that quarterback as a playmaker in the draft, then you're really going to see a continued team taking a step back. Whoever they're starting quarterback, Brady, is going to be in 2021, is not on their roster right now. I don't care if it's Jared Stidham. I don't care whoever it is. They got to go out and find that guy, and they believe that guy's in this draft, and they're going to have to do something that they don't want to do, and that's trade up in the first round and get an earlier. Mac Jones, the quarterback out of Alabama, by the time the eighth pick rolls on the Carolina Panthers, he is not going to be there. That's where he's going to go if he's not selected earlier than that. So if you believe he's your guy, then you got to do something you don't want to do, and that's trade up in the draft. More than ever before, they better realize. They're not that kind of Pied Piper organization because the Pied Piper is no longer there in Tom Brady. Players are not just going to sign with New England based on the past, especially when Tom Brady's not there. So more than ever before, you got to go and get those playmakers and convince them that this is the place where they should be. And it has to start with quarterback. If you don't find that guy, then once again, we're going to see a Patriots team being 6-10 and 7-9 and and not making the playoffs in 2021. Freddie, Pats have more than $60 million in cap space to spend in free agency. What do you think is the best use of that money? Is it spending all of it big on multi-year deals? Is it signing guys to one-year deals and having all the money available next year again? What do you think? If you're the Patriots, you got to find out exactly who you're going to go after, and you don't have to go above and beyond, but it has to be a little bit more than maybe even they want to pay. And that's something that with the Patriots, they never had to worry about that because they were always never in salary cap hell because they always had that money available and they were very wise in their spending. But a lot of that had to do with the fact that Brady, they didn't have any, they had a lot of misses instead of hits when it comes to the NFL draft. You were the last five years of the Patriots draft. Man, a lot of one-hit wonders. There are a lot of vanilla ices there, not a lot of Rick Rosses there when it comes to their draft picks with the Patriots in the last five years. So it's one thing to spend that money on free agents and having that money to spend. But who are you going to go after and make that work? If you're the Patriots more than ever before, you have to find a way to find playmakers in the draft. And it can't just be guys in the fifth and sixth round that are diamonds in the rough, and you hope they play above their draft spot, that they play above their draft seating. You go out there and find some dudes, because everybody you got to deal with has those dudes. The Ravens have those dudes. The Chiefs have those dudes. The Cleveland Browns have those dudes. The Buffalo Bills in your own division, they have those dudes. And to a point, so do the Dolphins. 
you got to go out there and find those dudes in offense because if you don't, you can only out-scheme so many people for so long and think that's going to work to win a championship in a post-Tom Brady Patriots world. You know, Freddie, I, I, I ranted about this at the beginning of the show a couple of minutes ago. Um, I'm not in the business of of saying who is the best candidate for comeback player of the year in any sport, because if you're up for that, then I think you know everybody who wins it would be deserving. But I was I felt it quite egregious that uh, Red Sox pitcher Eduardo Rodriguez, who missed all of last year with coronavirus and the heart condition that came that came along with it, wasn't even included in the top ten candidates for it by the Athletic. Freddie, at least tell me that I'm right and that's egregious. It is egregious, but at the same time, you have so many different candidates. There's always more likely than anything else that somebody is going to get lost from that standpoint. And you're exactly right, because that was a storyline that a lot of people that they didn't know about. How could you not know about that, especially with a professional athlete in that city for that organization and that franchise? But at the same time, I'm more interested in not only him coming back, but how his health is going to be. To me, that'll be the better comeback story. If he comes back, he's terrific in baseball. That's all well and good. But if he's going to be healthy for the rest of his life and this does not become a debilitating condition and affecting him and other family members, to me, that's a better comeback story than what he may or may not do on the baseball field. Well said, Freddie. I'll get you out of here on this. Celtics start their second half of the season tomorrow. They're going to take on the uh, great firepower of the Brooklyn Nets. How do you see the Celtics in the second half? Well, if you're the Boston Celtics, any time you played the Brooklyn Nets so far has not ended well for you. So I never believe that you can have one of those kind of goalpost kind of games, especially the first game after the All-Star break. But if you're the Boston Celtics and you believe that you can get closer to that line or compete on the same line with the Celtics and the 76ers, because right now those two teams are leading the way when it comes to the 76ers and the Nets in the Eastern Conference, you have to find a way to let everybody know that not only can you win a game like this, but then you could potentially win a series against a team like that. And it comes back to not so much about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Those two need to carry the way. But if Kimber Walker keeps performing like this and Robert Williams keeps coming along, where you got a nice one-two punch in the middle with him and Tice, then all of a sudden you've got something with the Boston Celtics where you don't have to worry about being left behind in a firefight against a team like the Brooklyn Nets. If you're able to have those guys continue to play that well, especially in the defensive end, then you have more than a puncher's chance. That's why this game is important from that standpoint. It's not about sending a message whether you win or lose. It's about letting yourself know as a team that, hey, if we get in the series with this team, they're not that much better than us, and we have a chance to beat them. That's why I think this first game back against the Brooklyn Nets is really important for the Boston Celtics. Freddie, final question, 1A, quickly. Um, I've talked about this on Monday, and maybe this is just me getting old and being a stupid thing to be mad about, but I would like to see the NBA All-Star Game go back to the players wearing their individual team jerseys, and apparently they only did that from 1997 to 2002. Would you like to see players in their own jerseys as opposed to East, West, or LeBron Durant? I would like to see players in the All-Star Game be relevant again. That's what I want. (laughs) I don't care what kind of jerseys you're wearing. I don't care if they're the M1 Mitch jerseys in the early 2000s. (laughs) I just want that game to be relevant again, and I just wonder if there's no way to do that because they tried so many different things. And to me, the best part about the NBA All-Star game on Sunday was the three-point shooting contest and Steph Curry hitting the last two shots to win that contest against Mike Conley from the Utah Jazz. I think there's only so much that you can do with an All-Star game, no matter what sport it is, especially when people know that's a glorified exhibition and there's not going to be that pride factor that we saw 
back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s because too many players have too much AAU about them where they know each other, they have the same agents. It's hard to get them to play like that in an, in an exhibition game and think that that's going to fly with everybody else, especially the kind of money that they're making. There's way too much at stake for them to think about losing playing in an exhibition game when it comes to an all-star game. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, tonight, 9 p.m., Freddie and Fitzsimmons. Freddie, we appreciate it as always. We'll do it again in seven days. My pleasure, brother. Always good to talk to you, Brady. You take care.